This is a main hustle media podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the single simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back listening to Militantly Mixed. Hey cousins, it's your Saranti Charmaine Fury. I just want to apologize real fast for the delay in this episode. It was supposed to air on Tuesday, January 10th, and um, I did actually have this episode edited. I just didn't have it laid down yet. I thought I was going to have time to do it on Monday because it really should have only taken about 15 minutes or so, but I, I was in meeting after meeting all day Monday, and then I ended up getting my COVID booster, my third booster, my fifth shot, and within just a couple hours, it had laid me out. Uh, I ran a few errands afterwards, and then by the time I got home, I was I was done. Um, my husband, too. It was a pretty potent um, vaccine. Uh, I've recovered from it a little bit faster than my husband. It only took me until, like, late, late last night, which was Tuesday. Uh, he's still suffering, though. So um, it's a, you know, it's a small price to pay to try to protect us and others from uh, the spread of COVID. But it was, uh, it rocked me. So I didn't get my work done. I do apologize about that. Uh, but what I was noticing yesterday was there's all this news, all these tweets, all these social media posts about Harry and um, airing his family dirty laundry and things like that. And I was wondering what was going on. I thought it was just an extension of the documentary from December. And then I realized when I looked at my Audible app that the, his book Spare had loaded because I had had it on pre-order. Um, I started listening to that a little bit. I'm not very far. I'm only in partway into part one. And then last night I noticed he had an interview with Michael Strahan on Hulu, so I ended up watching that too. And I will say that from what I've heard so far in the book and what I saw in the Strahan interview, um, the opinions that I'm expressing in this upcoming episode that you're about to hear, I don't, I don't think they're changing. I, I still feel very much in support of the decisions behind Harry and Meghan leaving the royal family for the protection of Archie, Lilibet, and Meghan. Um, I, uh, you'll hear me talk about the monarchy because I was raised uh, in a household that included a British grandmother that was a monarchist. The The queen and the royal family has been a big uh, presence in, in my upbringing, even as an American. And, uh, and so I have very strong feelings about um, whether or not I think the monarchy should still exist and yet still hold, they still hold a fascination for me. It's a, it's a conflict that I have because of my upbringing. Uh, but I don't feel like my opinions that you're going to hear expressed in this episode will change at all based off of whatever Harry ends up revealing in his book. I think um, I don't really have any feelings that say he shouldn't tell his family stories or air dirty laundry in this case. Um, because as you'll hear me describe in this episode, the family and the institution are linked but separate, and it's the institution that allows this family to treat their family members the way that they do. Um, the institution of the monarchy versus the 
these are just family members because they're they're really not just family members because of the institution. It's a lot more complicated of a situation than anything any of us who are either recording this show or listening to the show would ever have to face. So um, I just wanted to put that little thing in there that the, the new news hasn't really affected my opinion in any way, shape, or form. I haven't had a chance to connect with Auntie Teresa, although I know that she's probably not actively seeking out news about them in the way that it kind of hits my ears um, sort of just in the algorithm. I'm, I'm a partial Brit. I was raised by uh, a monarchist, so the, the royal family is, is in some way, shape, or form, there's always something that, I'm, that I see or hear or read or whatever that is connected to them. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this discussion between Teresa Stovall and myself for the Mixed Auntie Confidential episode number nine, Megan and Harry. Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your sir auntie, Charmaine Fury, aka the Blazer Bird, and joining me is Mixed Auntie Teresa. Mixed hey, Auntie hey, Teresa. Happy New Year. And we are back for our first episode of Mixed Auntie Confidential, uh, episode number nine in uh, in the new year. And we're going to be talking about ro- racist royals. <laughs> 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 royally racist thing i feel like i've lost my flow altogether it's just like jumping back into podcasts and after taking a couple weeks off i don't know yeah, you could never lose your flow I'm, he- I'm 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 hella goofy now uh but we so i mean i have been podcasting i have been doing my other shows even though i was supposed to be on a break but um but getting myself into a headspace to start talking about racist royals um well how how was your happy new year or how was your happy new year <laughs> how was your holiday season i'm not here holidays are great you know i'm in atlanta um and of course we had some unusually cold temps and some crazy weather yeah, yeah causing lots of utility issues for folks i'm blessed i had a couple of days without water but kept heat kept power no no frozen pipes no floods so i'm giving thanks to every everything and everybody and hoping that all of us sail into the new year with ease and joy and wellness and just, you know, as as smoothly as we can. And I hope the year goes great for everybody just putting it out there now. And I have my collard greens and my black eyed peas. So, you know. That's that's the that's the ritual, right? I saw a TikTok the other day, and it was like the most relatable TikTok I've seen, where a girl was like, "How am I supposed to eat twelve grapes in sixty seconds before the New Year? Because that's what the Spaniards do. Uh-huh. Um, eat all the black eyed peas and collard greens. Uh, have and then she started mentioning like different Asian things too. 
She looked just black, so I have no idea what her thing is, but she clearly had all the cultural references, and she was hitting so many of mine, too, that I was like, yeah, that's what New Year's is like for me every year. I have a Spanish uncle. We used to shove the grapes. We had our um, yaks, we had our um, skiaki and soba for Japanese part of the New Year. We had a black piece, color green, like, you just sitting there going through everybody's everybody's thing trying to get this thing done before midnight so so that you can go into the new year good i'm jealous y'all got all that shoot it's a it's it's a lot to try like the 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 most hectic (laughs) new year's was when i had a representative from like all my cultures plus my married in uncle from spain and that's like that was the year because his father was um from louisiana so his his mother was from spain his father was creole and so we had to do, you know, black eyed peas, collard greens, we and all the other things, and we had to do the the twelve grapes. And then because my aunt is Japanese, we also had to do the skiaki and soba. And it was just like, let's get it, let's get everybody's stuff in your face in time. Um, yeah, I it was love fun. That. I was love fun. that. I but to see someone that. do that in a TikTok, I was like, yes, that's what that's how stressful New Year's is. <laughs> it's delicious it's just stressful because especially because like with the soba you just you just have to be eating it into the new year like it's it's just like it's your new year's eve eating the greens yeah i know and like the black eyed peas and stuff i think that's kind of like a first day type of thing too right yeah yes and so, but we're trying to get it all done because we don't know that we're going to spend the next day together. So you're just, and then, but then you actually, for Spaniards, you actually have to get 12 grapes eaten, chewed, and swallowed in the countdown in the 10 seconds. In the 10 seconds? I think it's in the 10 seconds. Okay, so I do have to drop in a quick correction here. It is not the last 10 seconds. My memory was foggy about it because it, it's been like 20 years since I actually did it with my family. It's not the 10 seconds before it's not the countdown that we're doing 10 9 8 it's a grape for every strike of the clock at midnight so if each strike hits about it takes about three seconds so it's about 36 seconds and you'll be you'll be eating and swallowing a grape each of the the strikes until midnight until it ends Uh, so that is 12 grapes 12 stripes of midnight about 36 seconds. Just want to clarify that. And it actually has also been adopted by multiple Spanish-speaking countries where Spain colonized. Boom. Wow. Yeah, I think it's in the 10 seconds because we were like 10, 9, 8, 7. Like, we were like, oh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I think it was. I'll have to look it up to be sure because it's been a long time since I've been with that side of the family. But um Oh my god! Yeah, that's a whole last thing. Though. But you got to admit that is just that's rich and precious yeah. and delicious. Although, like you said, the timing and then <laughs> they got somebody talked about. I can't remember what culture it was. Not one. No, I think it's Irish, which technically I do have thanks to my dad. But about how you open the front door and the back door and let yeah. all. The, I was like, let you know me. what? First of all, I'm in an apartment. I got one door. I got one door. I, well, I got patio doors, but you know it's different. And secondly, I said, you know, again, like you, I said, I'm going to keep a real streamline this year. <laughs> you know, maybe uh, when, when, when we're on the other side of some of the challenges that this country and world are facing, mm-hmm. I might be ready. But right now I'm sticking with the tried. Tried and true. true. Yes, ma'am. But yeah. I admire and envy all the people who have 
the multiple things. I think that's you just you just loading up. You loading up the goods. What's lucky about being Japanese and black is that some of the things align. So like in Japan, you have to have cleaned your whole house. Oh, that's by by uh, New Year's Eve because you can't be cleaning into the new year because then you'll start Mm -hmm. your new year dirty, right? right? So. In both cases, both sides of the family, we had this. So it didn't matter which side of the family I was with at the time. We had to get everything done and cleaned by uh, December 31st before we started to do our New Year's Eve celebrations. And then New Year's Day, you're not supposed to do shit. You just, I mean, you make sure you eat your stuff you're supposed to eat. But other than that, you just, you're done. You're starting a new year in rest. Yeah. Um, So both of those being parallel are really helpful. It's just like. Making sure that like the New Year's Eve stuff got done correctly, so that you could do the New Year's Day <laughs> so you stuff. Could cruise into <laughs> yes, it. you could You're cruise right. into it. Um, but when but when you have some of these things like like the Spanish side is so loud and it's just like we're doing this and the New Year's is big and the Japanese side is just like thank you, thanks for having another year, thank you. You know, like this is just like quiet and stuff. <laughs> it's just a lot. <laughs> I absolutely love it. And maybe one day Militantly Mix could host. We could all gather somewhere. Have a a, a Militantly Mix. Can you imagine a whole whole room full of people trying to do their own, like trying to share their tradition across all of us. And we're all like, everybody, grapes. Everybody, full of black happiness. Well, even if we did it on Zoom and each person just shared their own traditions that we were all raised, yeah. that, that would be that an be fun. amazing film. Or that could be fun. Or yeah. That could be, be so much fun. And just one more thing we could add to the list of things that um been talking about possibly getting a chance to do mm-hmm. um, over this next coming year. Yes. For sure. But yes, I think the house cleaning is pretty much universal. I've already started my, I started mine at 6 a.m. this morning. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I don't think I'll be able to get my house clean because I am in the process of packing and, and well, I think there's move, a, but straightened. I'll well, just straightened. Whatever. I'm a firm believer, of course, in whatever you can reasonably get done is good. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not going to, I don't know that I'll have everything pristinely, pristinely. Yeah. You know, but I mean, like I said, I started today, got the floors did and, you know, all that. And then I'll be working my way through, but I'm not going to have a hundred percent ideal. Yeah. Like the shredding will not have been taken to the shredding place. The donation <laughs> probably won't have been made by December 31st. Right. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah but you, you don't mind me crazy. So happy new year, everybody. Happy new year, everybody. Uh, so we, so I hit you up over the of sort of close around the Christmas break to to ask if you had seen. Well, I didn't even ask. I just started talking about it as if you had. And you were like, <laughs> oh, I hadn't seen it yet because <laughs> I had feelings about the the Meghan and Harry uh, documentary on Netflix. Um, so I did watch the first three episodes like when they came out, and then I watched the last three. Um, or, like, because by the time you said, oh, I'll watch it those last three episodes hadn't dropped yet. Um, so we both caught up on it. I feel like I should have rewatched it though, but there was definitely a lot of things for me as a black Japanese British person who grew up with a British grandmother in my house, who is a monarchist. Um, and, and all the stuff that comes along with growing up with a monarchist, like there was a lot of things that were hitting me 
that way. And then also, I'm a black kid from L.A., and she was, too. Like, there was a lot of stuff. There was a lot of parallels, a lot of feelings I had, and I wanted to see what you thought about things, too. So where do you want to start in, in this uh, conversation about these racist royals? Well, I would like to start, Maine, is big picture, macro. And I want to defer to you and your Britishness. Britishness. And your Britishness. And I just I should have made a cup of tea. I just, yeah. (laughs) And I just, well, and I just learned a new word and wrote it down, monarchist. Mm. So um, you have that experience. Mm. I am just a typical American when it comes to all this royal stuff and left wingy enough and Afrocentric enough and everything else that, you know, I'm like, the what, the who, huh? Because I wasn't going to watch it until you Oh, you started. weren't until I told you? Yeah, I, I feel like I forced six hours. <laughs> no, 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 Oh, no, no. I'm super happy I watched it. And I'll give you all the reasons. But I really would like to start, I think it's best to start big picture with you helping me and our listeners because you have personal, you have a personal connection mm. to this monarchy, this Britishness, this thing that most of us who are not from and or connected in any way to that culture mm-hmm. would have any way of understanding except through our very specific lenses. Yeah, the British royal family is really strange because, I mean, it is the most famous of all the royal families on the planet, I think, for for non, you know, for people not in that country, like the rest of the world are very much aware of the British royal family. But understanding their role and what they are is very weird for especially Americans. And even though I am American born here and everything like that, I did grow up with a monarchist grandmother. So um, the British royal family is they're just a figurehead now. They used to be the head of state. They used to control their country and all the countries that they have you know, colonized over the world. But over time in the in the last century, Countries started uh, declaring independence and separating, uh, although in some cases the British government has to vote if they're allowed to be independent. It's a whole damn mess. It's so tangled because technically they're not the head of state in the UK. They're a figurehead, but they ask the government, they ask the prime minister to form a government in their honor, but they don't have a say in what politically happens in the United, in the United Kingdom, although... There are members of the United of the Commonwealth, other countries in 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 Africa, in um, the Caribbean, all over the world, where the Queen was the head of state, even though in her own country she wasn't. So it's a it's a messy, messy thing. But then there's also the difference between yes, they are a royal family, they are blood relatives, but they are in essentially employed by, although they don't get paychecks necessarily, but they're essentially employed by a system of, God, what do you even call the system? It's just the system. It's the the governing body that tells the royals what to do and where to go so that they can represent Britishness around the world, especially. They're like spokesmodels. Yeah, they're, they're like, they're, that's a good thing. They're like the car show models where they show up to the car shows and like, this is the new car. They're like that, but they're, they're the wealth. They're the most expensive welfare family on the planet. 
They make millions and millions of dollars a year. They live in all these palaces that are essentially not necessarily owned by them, but owned by them, but owned by the system. They still have to like get permission to live in different places. It's such a weird fucking thing to to wrap your head around. But you're still supposed to behave like as a as a, a British citizen or whatever. You're still supposed to behave as if, even though you know they're not the head of state, they are your head of state, and so they're the most important thing. Like we don't have, we don't we have, have anything. Comparable. We don't have anything like that. We have celebrities and we have yes. political dynasties, like the Kennedys say. But we don't have anything to the level of these are people who are not free, which is interesting, very much governed by the system that tells them what to do and where to go. They have to perform a certain role to the satisfaction of that system. But also they're monarchs like it's so it's bananas it doesn't make any sense and what they used to do in terms of being involved in government and stuff like that just hasn't existed in many many years and so now their job is to literally like open a bank or like cut the cut the ribbon at a hospital or shake hands down a line of people just to say hey you get to see us on occasion that's literally their job and depending on what level of tier of the royal family you are you got your you know your main squad the the queen which now is king charles but you know queen elizabeth and then her husband is even a sub to her you know her children are ahead of her husband like there's all these weird little hierarchies and so like there's certain events that like the queen would do and another member of the royal family could join the queen as like a gift (laughs) <laughs> but if you're but you can't be more popular than the queen in the moment so there's like rules that affect them that are governed by the system but you can't control what's going to happen when you're there so people in the royal family can get in trouble for shining too bright like everything Clearly. about yes everything <laughs> about this system is bananas bonkers stupid and yet the idolization and the emotions that British citizens have, even if you're not necessarily a monarchist, like even if you, you'll see people who are essentially anti-monarchy where they're just like, we need to get rid of this welfare family system, put this money back into the, in the, into the country. You know, people are starving right now. There's a huge, a lot of like um, living wage poverty that's happening right now in the UK. Um, but you know, they're still planning Charles's coronation. Um, but whatever you'll have those kind of anti-monarchists who will still be like but the queen like the way they will idolize her even though technically they're against the idea of having a monarchy well it's a brand it's a brand (sighs) it's a brand but there's this weird level of idolatry that happens with Elizabeth that that uh, we obviously don't have any comparison to because most of us weren't alive when when King George was present or um, right. Edward or George the Fifth and all like all these ones that uh, preceded them, like because she was the longest living uh, monarch. We don't get to see what that transition was like for other other monarchs um, until now. But there are people that just idolize her as this <laughs> magnificent, magnanimous human who couldn't be less in touch with like the world as a whole, 
who's like and some of these are people of color in these former colonies yes or the majority colonies to the uk yes and the majority of the countries that are in the commonwealth are black and brown people are mm-hmm. african and caribbean people um or Pacific Islanders and, and such like that. Mm-hmm. And yet they have, up until recently, no representation of black and brown people in the family. They still don't. They still don't. <laughs> they still don't. We'll true. get to that. We'll get to that. But that's a big part of this story that, that is, is coming up. And and they just they just couldn't be less in touch with what reality is like for the rest of the world. They think we're supposed to be grateful for them showing up and waving at us sometimes and they don't understand when we get mad at them for for different things but as a as a mixed american kid who was raised with a british monarchist grandmother like we had to curtsy to a fit photo of the queen in our in my house and things like that when we entered a room and like it was a really like if there was any to a photo of queen elizabeth I liken it to like how every black family had that one picture of Martin Luther King by the door. Nobody was curtsy. You didn't have to curtsy to it. But in the same way that we had the picture of Martin Luther King at the door, we we had the picture of the queen at the door. And it would be like, you'd almost have to like treat it like a religious icon where you'd walk into Mm -hmm. the house and, you know, curtsy to the queen. Also, my Nana was such a, a person that like the way she set herself up or positioned herself in the house, you would have to go to her to greet her you know, not, not curtsy necessarily, but you would be the one to initiate a hug or something like that. She just didn't do something. You went to her. So she was very much kind of like performatively, uh, fancy, but what we didn't know, cause she's our Nana and we don't know anything else is that like they, my family was not elite British people who came to the United States. My family were, uh, British equivalent to white trash and my Nana married a American came here and then changed her accent to sound more like the Queen's accent so that we could be fancier here than we, we would have been. Well, the, how many, that's Coat the interesting story. I think yeah. it's also important real quick to interject that that's how the U.S. was formed mm. with folks like your family who left the U.K., mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I think a lot of, I mean, folks aren't really aware of that or forget it or don't, aren't keeping it in mind. That's why I wanted us to start with the big picture and the context that that's how the U.S. started. You just described, you said, well, they were like the equivalent of white trash. That the equivalent of white trash is who founded the United States. And then they reinvent themselves when they're here. And like, so your ancestors were classic. Yeah, classic uh, white immigrants. My my Nana's brother was the one who told me, like, because I would talk about, like, I remember as a kid, the vague memory of him correcting her once when I was little and and asking her, why are you talking like that? And of course, as a child, you don't know what's going on. But as an adult, when I went to go visit my great uncle, I was close to him when I was younger. Um, I went to visit him in Canada as an adult and, and he ends up telling me something about her being such a fake. And I was like, well, I know what I think you mean when you say that, but like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, first of all, there's the accent. We don't speak the queen because it is a drastic difference between my uncle's accent and her accent. Um, He was like, we're, we're like, so to put it in like a American context, we're Southie in Boston, like the white, the poor whites 
Um, it's the equivalent of that in England. And she came here, reinvented herself, changed her accent to the Queen. So we got to have a little bit of fanciness because we were British. Um, but I mean, as an immigrant, if you're not, I'm I'm side eyeing you if you're not using that opportunity <laughs> to reinvent. And I'm like, well, why would you bother? Stick it out, right? Well, well, I'm just saying, it's human nature being what it is, and I'm not saying everybody does it or needs to, but my gosh, I, you know, if I'm going to, if I have the opportunity and it makes sense to me, my goals are not in alignment with my current reality. I mean, and to me, and again, from a U.S. perspective, there's nothing more American you can possibly. It's do. super American, yeah. I, I I will I will say both of my grandmothers, my my Japanese grandmother and my British grandmother, both came to the U.S. to be Americans. Well, that's why you go to, I mean. But she maintained this accent, you know, this like, you know. Well, because, because we, because this country in general, I call it the Simon Cowell factor, mm. that you'll know, we, we will all notice whether it's in advertisements, popular culture or whatever, you'll have a British person or British voice, I can't do a good accent, so I don't want to insult anybody, but a British accent or a British voice, and automatically, automatically, right? Mm-hmm. There, it's there's this it's the stamp of superiority, and yeah, it's white supremacy and everything else, but it's but it's there's something deep in the DNA of us yeah. that we might sit up a little straight or we give it a little more credibility. We give it more credibility. We give it more credibility. So I am not mad at your nana, okay? <laughs> I'm like, why? What else would you do? No, I I I agree with you. It's just one of those things. Like once you start noticing the things that your family did, you're just like, I don't even really know. I don't truly know what version of British we were because the version of British I was raised with isn't a reflection of the of the culture that she was necessarily raised in. She was raised around, certainly, but not in. And so it it ends up having this this um. I mean, like, I know that there was years and years that because of my training, because of my programming, I was really interested in the the royal family because even my Japanese grandmother really loves the royal family, which is hilarious because there is a Japanese royal family, but she could give a fuck about them. Um, you know, they're still, they're, they're very similar to the British uh, royal family in that they are figureheads. They're not right. lawmakers and things like that, but they still exist. They're still she present. Was vibing. She was vibing. Yeah. And, but she likes the British one. And so we like all the stuff, like if there was a wedding or a funeral or even for the sub members of the family, we were still up in the middle of the night to watch that. Um, you know, but so are millions of Americans and so are millions of people of all races around the around world. the world. Yeah. Around the world. That's what's so significant about the royal family. And even though the queen has passed, I'm still going to refer to the queen as being the active member because in in both this documentary, she was still alive during the time that they were talking. And the fact that in in all of our lifetimes that, you know, you and I just being here talking, but in everybody who's kind of up now, nobody was like a functioning adult when the last monarch existed you exactly, know like exactly. um so the uh this this thing about the british family like it's so weird because as much as i am anti-monarchist and want to reject it i can't help that i also get caught up in in the stuff and i watch the documentaries and i do the this and i you okay know. but charmaine i mean why would it is a part of my culture but it is. But even if you were just like the rest of us Americans for whom it might we not but might not be tracing anything to that particular country, yeah. 
I guess my thing is, why wouldn't you? And the other thing is, it also represents, again, I'm going to go old school, the origins of this here USA. Mm-hmm. That's the parent country. It's that's the parent, the country, parent yeah. culture. That, there isn't any other. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. That's the parent country and the parent culture is part of why we are who we are, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But um, so I guess, you know, I, I don't personally feel an attachment to it, but I completely But you understand. saw how like even black Americans were mourning the loss of the queen on oh, the Facebook and Americans, stuff. Like, black Americans, black, She was so God, special. God. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying. I don't think that's, I, I get it. I mean, for all the things we could dissect that, but I want to get to the documentary. But yeah, I, let's I, get I'm into really it. Glad you gave that context because it's essential, and it's essential to remember that is what this country was born out of, and in response yeah. to, and in rebellion against. Yeah, because the folk who came here, here were the bottom of the of the, the British of barrel, y'all. Yeah. Let us be. I'm not trying to crack on anybody's relatives. I'm including my own up in here. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't but, the fancy folk because the fancy oh, folk. The fancy folk oh, might no. come here to set up a plantation, peace out, and let the poorer people right, know, look after things like that. There was absolutely not. some of that going on. But for the most yeah. people, the dregs of society were the people who came dregs, here. Dregs, baby, dregs, and, dregs. And that, like, okay, that was super British, too, to, to even use that word, dregs. Um, but, it's like, you know. It's such a good word, though. It is a good word. <laughs> um, but, so, I feel like it's important to lay that out, because what I don't know that the documentary may, did, like, when you go into this documentary, or even if you go into, like, the show The Crown, which I do think The Crown does a good idea of sort of showing us what British royal life might kind of look like, even though some of it is is, you know, fictionalized, of course. Um, I don't think that people realize that even though she is the queen, she's not the boss. She is the boss of that family. She's not the boss of the country. So like the things that she does and says doesn't necessarily have a major impact on the governance of the country. So I say that, and the reason why I think that's important is because at the end of the day, you have essentially the most famous person on the planet dictating who in her own family gets to be popular for public consumption. And so when you get, you know, she's got these four children, two and a half of which are disastrous. Like she's got Charles, Andrew, and, and Edward. Yeah. Edward. Um, Edward's a not entity. You never think about him. He did get a divorce. Nobody cares. No one remembers. Why do I know? I guess because I'm British and I just know, but like people don't give a shit about him. He's fine. He doesn't get into a lot of drama moving on. Andrew fucking pedophile definitely uses his resources as a, as British Royal to get access to rich people and young girls. Charles, Charles is a weird one because as a, as a husband, he was a horrible person to, to Diana He's also very much a product of neglect and and uh, um, abandonment issues and stuff like that related to his mother, um, abuse from his father. He he actually is, he actually was really progressive in terms of the rest of his family members, and this all predates his time with Diana, where he was like he wanted to he wanted to learn Welsh to be like if I'm going to be Prince of Wales, I need to actually speak Welsh and understand Welsh culture a little bit uh, where his family did not want him to do that. They didn't want him to justify or value validate Welshness in the, in, you know, the UK 
of it all. Um, he he is a person that he's supposed to be the future head of the Church of England, but he studied all different kind of religions. He was really interested in other religions and he wanted to find a way to interweave them into more of like an intersectional church type of thing, which was not going to be possible in the Church of England. Uh, so he always had to tamp that down, but he couldn't help it if people figured it out. He's really into, um, he really just wanted to be an architect. Like that's all he wanted. He wanted to build like palatial estates. That's what he wanted to do. Um, but he didn't really have that option. And then when it came time for them to pick his wife, he, they didn't think Camilla was attractive enough. So they stopped it at every turn. So she eventually just got married their relationship continued on so that by the time they gave him the more attractive Diana, he was done. He was, he, the, if they had just let him have Camilla, you would have not had, well, we wouldn't have known Diana. You wouldn't have had Wills and, and has, but you would have, you would have saved probably a lot of trauma that that family inflicts on each other and experiences. And then you get to Diana and the boys and, of course, all the stuff that, you know, most of us know, you know, we grew up, they, they grew up in front of our eyes. We all adored them. We thought they were adorable kids, blah, blah, blah. Diana was everything. When she dies and we see them mourn her publicly, which is one of the hugest things as a British person to see your monarchs like literally mourning um, in front of you. That was so insane. And that endeared those boys to the population forever. So we were always going to be paying attention to who they partnered up with. And as it, as it ended up happening with him and Kate, people went nuts for Kate when she first became the, you know, the chosen one or whatever. Over time, people got to see that she wasn't kind of the nicest person in the world. So they stopped caring about her. And then you get Meg's and Megs comes in here. First of all, she's American, so she's worse than a commoner, because like Diana Dregs. technically was because a Dregs. because Dregs, right? Like Diana technically was a commoner in that yes, she has a father and a titled family and everything like that, but they're not at the highest level of the British aristocracy. So while she is still an eligible person for one of the princes to marry. She had a public life. She didn't have to, um, or she had a private life. She didn't have to have a, a public presence and stuff like that until until she married Charles. Um, Megan's not even like that. Megan is just some girl off the street as far as they're concerned. Like they have no reference for her, or or they can't they can't make a comparison of what American society hierarchies look like compared to what British society hierarchies look like, like. Kate is technically just a regular ass commoner, but far back her family did have some things like almost every, you know how black people all claim that they're Native American, whether or not they know they are. All British people have a Duke or Duchess or somebody in their family from way back, right? That's, that's one of those things. So they could claim somebody, they had to do this like genealogy thing to try to figure out who she could claim just to justify her being in the, in the running and then they just established her parents as um they gave her parents titles to justify her level blah 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 blah. with meg you couldn't do that because she was an american and so you couldn't establish her parents you couldn't grant her parents titles because they weren't u.s they weren't uk citizens and um and and sort of like on the back end justify her placement alongside of a prince you couldn't do that with her 
So for Harry, uh, for I was gonna say Hasigan, but for Harry to say no, this is the one I'm gonna marry, and the, the system just had to scramble around it. I think because she's one, uh, Harry was was the queen's like favorite grandchild. I think they kind of let things go. Plus, they're coming off the back of all the Diana stuff. They're like, let's just let's just let it happen and see what happens. And I think the family probably did seem to like her more than the system allowed and that's what gets us into the documentary because mm-hmm. the documentary shows how much the system dictated what was allowed to happen and every time because she's not trained by this culture and this society every time Megs stepped out of the mold rather than explain why this doesn't work they just go you did it wrong no additional training no follow-up then she does something wrong again and it continues to spiral out of control until she's just a problem that can't be solved. It's the same thing with Diana. Diana oh. didn't get trained to to roll with it. There so, was no Princess Diaries. There's no Julie Princess Diaries. Andrews, with Julie yes. Andrews. That's there's what nothing they like that. That's, That's what they needed. And so you end up having a repeat of what happened with Diana, which is, I think what's the difference between Diana and Kate is that Kate probably went full institutionalized immediately. Like Kate leveled up and Kate was happy to level up and Kate was grateful to level up and Kate was smart enough to read the room and probably got found her a Julie Andrews consultant coach. Probably did. Somewhere. Because if Kate's going to be the future queen, there's going to be an expectation of her that's going to be a lot different. Right. And, and she basically, you had to make the decision. Are you going to give up your identity? For the person that you love, okay, here's how you do that. And exactly. I think, you know, there are ways in which she messed up in the beginning too. She's, we saw her titties. She was just, she was just sunbathing on a fucking vacation and a camera took a picture of her. And so everybody knows that, you know, we see the future queen of England's titties. Like that, that was something that happened for her in the beginning. She, for just like Diana, she accidentally didn't wear a petticoat once and her dress was kind of see-through and you could see, oh my God, the shape of her legs. In the light. Oh my goodness. How did you get, you know, how did you do this? What a disgrace. Um, And then something stepped up, like something, there was a flip that switched with her where she just became a member of the institution. Princess Diaries. She got Princess Diaries, I guess. That must be what happened. With Megan, I think they didn't give her a chance to even get that far. And they they granted no resources because all the resources are pulled towards the queen and the future heirs. So, well, thank you for that. Can I come in now? Yes. Because the um, elephant in the room is, yeah, and you can explain it. And thank you for that. First of all, thank you for all that. I just learned a lot in this few minutes. And I'm really, no, no. I kind of hate how much I know about the British family. No, no, there's no way for me and probably most of us to know anything about this. How would I know? So anyway. So I appreciate that because I didn't have any kind of sense of the details. So I'm going to thank you, thank you, thank you. So important to understand. It makes, but the added layer. So she's an American. She's an American. She's been divorced. She's been divorced. That's right. We have, I didn't say that. She's a, no offense, Megan, but she's a B-level actress on a TV show that not a lot of people have heard of or watched. Most people probably heard of it because she dated Harry, to be fair. That's when most people became aware of Suits, Mm -hmm. right? 
I remember seeing her, and I can't remember the name of it right now, so forgive me when my kids were growing up. It was some money show where you had to guess the Yeah, the, the cases where she had to hold on to the cases. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, she's really cute. She looks like she might be mixed. I remember that conversation with my kids as we were watching it as a family. But um, only because later on, when I you know saw her acting resume or her performing resume. So, not, so you have all of that. She was divorced. Mm-hmm. And she, I'm sorry, but in the, and you can help me with this, but this is now through my lens from day one, okay, that in the, through the scope of everything you just described, you know, all things British, the royal family, the government, the media, the populace, and everything else. I'm sorry, but she black. She's black. She's black. She's yeah. blackity black, 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 blackity black, 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 black. Because okay. you could plug and play her story with a white American. Everything else is the same. Her career, right. all the other stuff is the same. She's just a white American. She's still suffering. She's still having a lot of troubles. But, she, but what she's not, not going the, to have but not, is yeah. the race but, stuff. She's not going to have the... Well, and the stuff that wasn't necessarily overtly race. But so, okay. So from my perspective... When she started dating Harry and it became public, when they went Instagram official, as they said, <laughs> or when, you know, when the news, da, 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 I'm like, I was like, who? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know who she was. Like I a did, lot of us. I, I was did like, not know who she was. Okay. She, she makes, okay. Oh, that's interesting. I immediately was like, oh, they ain't going to let this happen. Like I, now again, you know, y'all, I, that was like, there is no way. That these people are going to get married and procreate. Now, that's just how I saw it. That's what I thought, too. Okay, so you and I, from our very different perspectives, I was like, there ain't no way. I mean, really. That's one of my favorite songs. Yeah, I I was stunned. I I felt like Harry was um, basically forcing the the system to have to adapt to the decision that he made. And by making it public without the normal way that relationships are announced, um, that 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 was going to happen. And I I ultimately thought they weren't going to be able to stay in the in in the family. But I thought that was going to happen before they got married. I did not expect them like when I realized that they were actually getting into the wedding day and when they moved it to Windsor and all that other kind of stuff. um, I realized like every step of what they did while they still allowed it to be the big extravagant show, them moving venues of where they normally get married or they doing things like that. Like all of that was telling me the system is not okay, but the public has was down. So they have to adjust to a certain extent. They have to give the public what they want, but still try to control the narrative in such a way that the public eventually gets back onto the system side. Absolutely. And it's all about, it's a thousand percent about power control and nothing else. And we yeah. know that. So it's yeah. all power. It's out control. And they're like, Oh, this little negress. Yeah. Okay. Like negress is finna, you know, marry into this family. Okay. Hmm. Okay, and she got her lovely, beautiful, charming black mama, who's a yoga teacher in California, <laughs> and lovely. And she got, you know, some her friend Serena, yeah. and some other friends up in here. And, um, you know, and they're all like, mm-hmm. but listen, they, there was no way, and you, somebody would have to, who's an expert in this, would have to tell me I'm wrong. There is no way 
they're okay with this. Yeah. There, you know, there is no, every black person who they like, love, have a relationship with could have stood there and sang Negro spirituals for two days. <laughs> there is no way that this entity, this system, this institution is going to be okay with a single drop. Yeah. Okay. And so here she come and they get married and they got the little color stuff happening, but I'm with you. I'm like the whole time I'm like, I was amazed that it, that they ended up having a public wedding. And I'll be honest, I didn't actually watch it. Um, this was the first royal wedding that was public that I did not watch when it happened. I watched it a couple weeks later, mostly because people were hitting me up. Because I wasn't militantly mixed yet. I wasn't the show yet. Um, I think I was still living. I don't remember when they got married. Um, but I... The reason why I was resisting it is because I was starting to finally stand up and resist the idolization of the, the monarchy by that point. Yeah. And in this case, it was like, yeah, she's a mixed woman and stuff like that. But to be frank, I, I didn't know about her until she uh, until she got engaged. I didn't know who she was. Nobody I hadn't heard did. of her before. Nobody, nobody. So did. her being mixed wasn't really like a big pull. It was kind of like, oh, shit, they're going to have a mixed print, you know, blah, 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 like that. It was it was a thought. I definitely had the thought, but I, I kept thinking it wasn't going to happen. Um, or that if it was going to happen, the rule was going to be that they would step out of the family. I thought that that was definitely going to happen and that maybe ultimately Harry would find that very stressful because, you know, he's born in an institution. The fact that he's doing the work that he's doing now is insane. Like, it, it's insane that there's a member of the British royal family who is aware of uh microaggressions who is aware like like you know who can say those words you know all of it he's very aware yeah and and i i mean i've always liked harry um you know throughout his life watching him grow and stuff even when he's made his teenage slips you know he dressed up like a nazi or whatever he had his dick out in in las vegas we all saw the pictures i get it but i feel like these people need they have no regular life so if right. they fuck up in a hotel room in Vegas, I'm not tripping. They're, no, you know, I, got you. I don't, yeah, I don't think I, I, I feel you with stuff all like that. Like I'm not so really funny. tripping. I would need him to be overtly just like spewing out hate speech or something like that for me to be really, really concerned that like he just doesn't have access to brown people is, is what I'm assuming. When he when he likes and falls for, um, but he spent time on the continent. That's the thing with Harry. So this is something that is more about Harry than than um, anybody else because it will Will's stayed out there too, but it didn't impact him the way that it impacted him. Uh, Harry, uh, Diana loved her mission work in Africa that involved the mines, and she did something that was insane for any royal to do. She walked out where the mines were, knowing that she could potentially cause harm, but she did that to scare them into demining that area, the landmines, so that that, safe, that place could be safe. She put herself at risk for that. That was a huge thing that she did when she did it. And that's that person who got, who got into Harry, you know, who raised that portion of time that she had access to Harry, who raised him to be like, these are human people who are suffering atrocities that even our people, the, you know, people, British people do not suffer, um, or the white British or the English, I guess. Do not suffer. So once he started going to Africa, he was falling and falling and falling and falling up. But he was grieving when he got to spend time there. 
And he got in touch with a family that really took him in and nurtured him. And in doing that, those things started to chip away at him, whether he knew it or not, starting to chip away with him. And so the fact that he became attracted to, you know, a light-skinned black woman was probably just a version of that. Like, he spent a lot of time around around black folks. And by the time he saw her, he was like, I like that one. You know, he mm -hmm. also took her on their first real date date. He also of, might not have known that she wasn't white. That is possible too, which is a surprise that because that comes up in the documentary a few times about yeah. how white adjacent she was and accepted in whiteness in a way that is always very foreign to me. Um, when light-skinned, black, white, biracial folks say, even the ones that are raised in whiteness, when they um, have white acceptance, like whether or not they're all, like, because in, in Megan's case, like her hair as a child was all the way. Well, no, we're, we're gonna talk. We're gonna do a whole segment of this show about her hair. Yeah, when we her hair, like her the hair. fact that we she got white hair. adjacency or white acceptance with her hair as a child. Well, I well, uh, do we want to dive into that right now, or do we want to wait? Well, I feel I feel like um, you know now she presses it and all that kind of stuff. You can't really tell. There are times when if she turns a certain way. Also, okay. Look, I'm from Seattle. You're from Southern California. Mm -hmm. She grew up in Southern California. Yeah. So curly hair. I mean, she's got her definitely got curly hair, right? Um, white adjacency doesn't mean people thought she was white. No, that's why I was saying white adjacency so and white no, acceptance. So yeah, people of all races get white adjacency, including dark chocolate people and everything else. I mean, you can have white adjacency. It means that white people, for whatever reason, and there's a million reasons that we don't have time to go into here, are comfortable enough with you. They've decided mm -hmm. that they're comfortable. It's about comfort. Yeah. Their comfort. That they're comfortable enough with you to let you in. And they've been in all kinds of people. They've been in the deep chocolate people, you know. But that, so the white adjacency isn't just phenotype or isn't just the fact that she was mixed. Yeah, that's right? not how I was using it. So, no, I know, but I'm just saying, I feel you, I get you, but so my, my number one takeaway, if, if, cause it might be a good segue into it. Here's my big, big takeaway from the documentary, which by the way, I recommend people watch because even though we all were inundated with the headlines and the viral stories and everything else, it really, and again, you've done a beautiful job. You, you actually should have been in the documentary with what you shared here today. I'm not joking though. Because I wouldn't, most of us wouldn't have any idea the nuance that you presented, including with Diana and reminding about the minefields. I'd forgotten about all that. You know, you just did a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful journalistic job. So I want to thank you. <laughs> no, it's really important, Charmaine. I'm really serious. It's really critical to understanding another culture is having someone who knows that culture at least more than you and has enough intimacy and fluency in it to explain nuances. That's why. I'm so adamant about these when it comes to all aspects of culture and identity, mm -hmm. right? And I don't pretend to be fluent in even aspects of my own DNA that I'm not right. I, I want to sit back and learn and listen and absorb and I better understand. So anyway, my main takeaway, because it's segueing with what you said. So white adjacency, whatever it is that Megan had. My takeaway is... That and I get it. I too am from the West Coast. I too am mixed, and I am phenotypically very close to Megan. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So I get it. But um, the takeaway for me was, and it wasn't a surprise. I mean, it was all confirmed by the documentary. And they did a beautiful job of telling and owning their story in the documentary. Beautifully done. Definitely worth watching. Was, and this isn't specific to Megan, but she's to me a symbol of it that we can utilize to have this conversation about mixedness and about parenting mixed children. And her mm -hmm. beautiful mother, I don't know anything about her daddy, other than he started acting. Uh, yeah, he started walking. Yeah. The minute this was announced. So I don't know nothing. And it did, she did a good job. So apparently he was somewhat of a decent co-parent and they had a somewhat decent relationship before he lost his entire mind. Yeah. But um, the big issue I saw was when it's like you and I, you, from our different perspectives, the minute it was announced they were dating before they were engaged, I was like, that ain't never going to happen. You know, oh, yeah. Megan didn't have that. Okay? Megan didn't have that. If it did, she if she did, she didn't share it in the documentary. Mm. Okay. And so what 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 Megan in this situation represented on a worldwide stage to me is mixed black with anything else, but specifically black white biracial children who are raised with a sense of racelessness. Yes. This was very hard for me to wrap my head around. It's racelessness. That's why she could be curly until she wasn't. But it's racelessness. And a lot of times, and I think Ms. Doria is an example. And again, this is not a criticism focus, not a judgment. It's none of those She's things. She's just it's doing what she... Observation. Yeah. That a lot of parents of all races who have and raise mixed children, including black people whose kids are mixed with black, and it's not, there's nothing inherently evil or malevolent about it. Right. But it ends up, and I think I would, if I were going to teach a course on this, I would use this documentary as the text. Right. This is a case study for anybody to look at that when you're raised with a sense of racelessness or vagueness, now again, especially in the U.S. and especially if your mix includes Black. I'm not qualified to talk about any other country, okay? Right. That that you could believe that love conquers all. Yeah. You could be a beautiful, charming. I mean, she makes a great royal or princess. Where she's yeah, she's very um, graceful and elegant, welcoming, and classy, and stuff, yeah. all the things, all the things. Yeah, right. Just she seems organically so. If she said, or if she was using her acting skills, she pulled it off. She was always lovely. The camera adores her. You know, it's mm -hmm. just all those good things. So she didn't come with any deficits. But what surprised me, and you know, part of it's I'm old enough to be her mother. I'm probably her mother's age, if not a little older, um, was this popular, it's a popular narrative. It's the popular narrative of love conquers all. Yeah. The, the common woman married the prince kisses. I mean, we grow up. It's the fantasy that they've taught us to have, yeah. that narrative from Disney, from fairy tales, from rom-coms, from everything from childhood to adulthood. Okay. So it played perfectly into that narrative that we have all been indoctrinated with every single one of us. Yeah. And so, you know, and then there's that underlying narrative that is specific 
and I think relevant to mixed folks and maybe black folks, because a lot of people call her black, some don't, some argue, whatever, that's going to happen forever. But um, that when you when you add that to the story, okay, that that's going to become the dominant theme, even in what I would consider classic British fashion, they were low key about it. They were yeah. passive, passive aggressive about it. Whereas in this country, they wouldn't have been low key and they wouldn't have been passive aggressive. So the, the little asterisk, I guess, that I'll throw in right here in terms of British culture and how they deal with mixed people is that in the way that mixed people, and, and when I say that, I'm specifically talking about people that are mixed with black and white, um, they there's far more representation of black white biracial in in british culture they're available people know they exist they will acknowledge them as like you're you're half right you know like that's a real common way in which um they're interacted with so like it's not it's not like here where you find out someone's mixed and you're like oh my god you know like where the culture seems to react so big like oh wow they're they're a mixed person and then we get to decide if they get to be black or if they get to be whatever they're mixed with whereas in the uk the black bite the black bite biracial has a place in the culture and in representation so they're used to that they call them half and half or whatever that is you know they sometimes they call them mixed but in the way in which they'll use like your mixed right fill in a very you know a, like i'll call it aggressively passive statement about black people you're not as essentially saying you're not as bad as what we're saying all black you know full black people would be um they immediately do it so it's kind of like a a, i'm acknowledging that you're mixed and here's where i'm acknowledging that you're not like the others and so you're you're more comfortable and it, it is it is far more common so like the the pearl clutch that existed when megan came forward i think was less about her being a mixed person i think it's actually easier that she was a mixed person versus a full black person oh well full black first of all if she was full black it wouldn't have it would have been so difficult like that person would have had to been a candace owens level ignorant of i don't of I blackness don't to get that far i don't think they would have let him marry i don't think they would have let him let him marry either but i it just would have been harder to get through those loops it was a lot easier this is one of those examples in which like being mixed did kind of like well it might not be that bad let's go ahead and see what happens so that i put that out there to say that like it wasn't a big shock to the culture i think that she was mixed i think that was actually a lot more palatable a lot more um easy if they were gonna if it was gonna be an outsider that that it was a mixed person um a light-skinned presenting person um than a darker-skinned black person but it allowed them to just kind of like yeah british people are actually far more direct but it's in such a polite manner when they do it that it's it's not unlike overt southern racism it's just got a cute little accent and there's always a compliment at the end well yeah but the compliment is part of i mean it's passive aggressive of course but that's what makes people that's what fools americans into thinking that they're not really actually that racist like i've actually even had people tell me that obviously british people weren't racist or at least my nana wasn't because she married my grandfather meanwhile we had like gollywogs and jim crow stuff in our house that she found cute but was completely racist towards the people that were growing up in her house her own children her own grandchildren Right. And she was just like, no, it's just cute. It's fine. So to think that, that British people aren't as um, 
overtly racist or aware of race as much as Americans are is is definitely definitely false. Thank but no, they, no. I want to thank you for that because that's an ongoing conversation not only in mixed spaces but among Black Americans. Mm -hmm. So I want to really thank you for that. I want y'all to highlight bold italicized yeah. like don't ready. idolize the british because they have a nice accent they're they're doing well, the same shit that's part of our that's part of our white supremacist yeah right? but but they are no less racist yeah, no less but, racist but again, right. you're like so okay so she so thank you for the context super important so okay so her mixes they're looking at it but still and you can tell me if i'm wrong as Jay-Z would say, but I won't say it, title of that song. <laughs> um, okay. So still, 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 still. Okay. There's degrees and there's things, but still, yeah. still, still, still. Yeah. Okay. Because whiteness always, it's still. All right. Because what you can really see in the documentary is that she, like the, I, the concept of can't win for losing was a, literally a part of everything she did. If she showed up for poor people, it was, oh, but she must be Muslim or she must be um, supporting them because they're black too. It wasn't, it wasn't just like, she's a royal and her job is to show up to this event that involves poor people. It wasn't that. It was, oh, she picked these specific poor people because they're black or something like that. Like she couldn't, she couldn't do regular royal duties where her, um, uh, her like empathy was was not called into question. Where her like you know whether or not she's being you know authentic in those moments were always called in question in a way that doesn't happen with the white royals. Because do you think Charles fucking grew up enough around of diverse enough people that he doesn't say stupid shit like um what are the, the clip that they have in in that thing was him at a hip-hop event or maybe it was in a different documentary he was at an, an event where like kids were doing uh b-boy dances and stuff like that and there was a dj and he said a groove on that dope beat or something like that in the most white man british way ever well that's who he is but it's I mean, who he I is the institution is, is but they don't call him into question about his lack of authenticity in that moment where they would not, do that he, for he's not but he, he can do anything and he's like you talked about andrew i mean he, they can do anything their their authenticity isn't going to be questioned they're yeah. born they're the to the manner born isn't that the way it's said yeah which of the manner born i mean they're not there's nothing they can do to have their authenticity questioned. they might act all the way out yeah right but so here so here comes so you have this 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 coming together of this institution and of this woman, this young, beautiful, charming, lovely woman. And I want to pause here because my second takeaway from the documentary, it's not that I ever doubted it. I just, because I have very little interest in anything royal. I've never watched Crown. I never will, all that kind of stuff. So it's really good because we have a nice contrast here. I came away... Really, really, and this is hard to do, y'all. I'll just tell you this. Impressed with their love story. They seem to really, yeah. And that is hard to, that's something that, I mean, just because I've been through some things, you know, and all that. No, no, no. So when it, I'm hard to win over, but when mm. you win me over, there, it's because 
It's because I really like, I would go to bat for them as a couple. Yeah. I would go to bat after watching that doc. And I didn't have any doubts before. I just didn't have enough interest to have an opinion before. But I have to say that before I was like, oh, they're so cute together and, and no little archaic behind no color. But anyway, um, but um, I have to tell you, and respect for Harry, for throughout, this man chose this woman, loves her data draws, okay? And literally walked away. I mean, this is a love story for the ages. And I'm not saying this in any kind of idealistic painting over. He recognized and called out and challenged the racism. Yeah, he did. Okay. And he stood up and said, this is my wife. These my children. Peace out. Okay. Ultimately, and because I'm not, and obviously, 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 very moving and very authentic for me in any way. I'm not going to let them do to my wife what they did to my mama. Man, that was like, it's just hit me in the gut. Cause I remember him saying this, like when it happened, like when, yeah. when that actually, and like the way it ripped me to shreds to hear him say that. Because he has been vocal. He's been trying, they've tried to stamp him down for it, but he has been vocal mm -hmm. about the media definitely being responsible responsible for his mother's death, and particularly paparazzi. Absolutely responsible. Absolutely responsible. No and question. he was just seeing, and he even acknowledged there were times I wasn't seeing it. There were times when the institutional version of me was looking at my wife and saying, you know, stiff off her lip. But yes. ultimately, yes. when it, when it, when it, clicked when it all clicked into place he the parallels were too obvious that he was he gonna have to mourn every woman that he loved right like which essentially i assume is his mother grandmother like, just you know. be clear, and i'm gonna say this y'all you can call me a conspiracy theorist if they'd stayed there she might have died yeah something might have happened to megan i'm just trying to i'm not trying to put it in the universe i'm just being this is just looking at History, logic, yeah. patterns. So, y'all, they would, they could not allow that. Because when when Diana died, the queen and the royal family themselves were, had plummeted in their popularity. They were they were pulling lower than Bush numbers. Like they they were not people. The the conversations about ending the monarchy was popping up and all this other kind of stuff. They were not doing well, but. As white supremacy shows us, you know, you wait it out, you smile at the right time, and, you know, five, ten years later, they weren't holding Diana's death against the royal family like they had originally. And so when, or the press, or at least the, the populace, I guess, wasn't. And they were back to forgiving and loving the queen and loving the royal family and all this kind of stuff, and then you, you see start, what starts to happen with Meghan, and it's like everybody fucking forgot what happened to Diana. And it was like, well, she should calm the fuck down and just accept it. She wants to be a royal. This is what comes with the thing. Were they saying shit like that to Diana? I That I don't remember, but I do remember I them crying as a whole nation about the death of Diana. I remember them telling um, uh, Charles that he was responsible for the death of Diana. I remember that kind of stuff happening in the crowds and shit like that. So all you have to do in terms of the royal family is to wait long enough. So if something had, if they had stayed and something had happened to Megan or Archie um, mm -hmm. 
or even Lilibet, um, had she been born there, um, that they would have just had to wait it out. Give them another 10 years or something like that, the world would forgive them and they could just be in existence anymore. But Harry wasn't going to deal with that. Harry wasn't going to mourn his wife and child in the way that he was, he wasn't going to let that happen. And I, I think and it's, he knew it would happen. And he knew it would. Let's be real clear. Let's be real clear. He knew it would happen. One of the most jarring moments too, of, of the whole documentary series, which is something that I absolutely believe happened, even though we don't, we only have one side of the story is when they waited till Megan left the country to pull Harry into the meeting that determined their future. Um, first of all, that that happened, not a surprise, hundred percent would have expected them to exclude her in, in, in that decision-making process. Of course. But what jarred me the most was Harry's face when he describes his brother, Will, who everybody has had their, had Will's back forever because just like Harry, he lost his mom too. When he says that he slammed on the table and started screaming about basically get in line. I can 100% see that. Like, I've seen Will turn from the Wills everybody loved to the institutionalized Will over the last, like, especially in, in, since he got married. Um, but, like, the guy that I see now doesn't make me feel like Diana's boys. You know, like, every time you saw them, you would think Diana's was Diana's was. But the last, like, five or six years, I haven't looked at him like that at all. And um, I could completely picture that moment um, that he he got into this, like they had to start institutionalizing him as much as they could because he's the future yeah, king of England. Absolutely. And for him to, to scream at his brother, which was basically his best mate his whole life, and be and like, get in line. Brother. And his younger brother. That he was saying, I'm not here to protect you anymore. I'm the future king of England, essentially. That's right. That moment was the thing that like, and I, I, I saw it because he's like, basically I had to make the call without even consulting Megan in that moment. We're out. Yep. We're done. I'm going to start packing my bag. And that's what makes me, that will always endear Harry to me as a member of the royal family that he was just like, it took him no time. Right. Because at that point, he, he probably already started the grieving process to a degree, like that he wasn't going to be, like that it was, he was going to have to step back enough just to just to make peace for the family itself, for his grandmother in particular. And, and um, but in that case that he was like, I, I know that this means I might not see any of my family again, but I'm out. Yeah. Um, because I chose this woman and I chose yeah. to have these children and that's, yeah. that's it. Um, yeah, that was jarring. It made me really sad, but also it 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 really endeared him to me forever for that because absolutely. I'm telling you, I just was like, okay, that's 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 a really a hell of a man. Yeah, and I mean hear- that in the best possible way. That in the in the, you know we can get into gender roles and patriarchy, but that's not what I mean. I mean that is a person of integrity mm-hmm. who allowed his love for his wife and child to be his priority mm-hmm. and for their well-being and for somebody, you know, for the average white person anywhere in the world, the average white person who, you know, every once in a while, regular white people really do have light bulb moments about racism. This yeah. is a bit generalization, but I'm just saying, and it does happen. And you can um, forgive them for having to have that moment because 
Well, I mean, society and control and culture is telling them that they're the center of the universe. Well, I mean, they are the center of the universe. They're the, they are in fact the center of the universe. Yeah. So in, institutionally and systemically, certainly in this country anyway. But anyway, yeah. So they are the center of the universe. That's just a fact. But what I want to say is that yeah, it does happen, and always glad when it does. But the key of all people and everything you've shared with us here today and everything we know about the monarchy and the royal family and British and the Commonwealth and all the things that that's really, to me, phenomenal. That he's not just a regular guy. It's a mountain of gold that he said goodbye to for his family. He said goodbye to everything for the love of the, and the protection of this woman and child. And I know yeah. I'm, you know, and that's, that was just really beautiful. And I'm so glad they made the documentary because I'm just like, I'm rooting for them as a family. I am I'm rooting, too. I'm and as a family. And you just can't stress that there's no equivalent. It's not like None. a rich celebrity in America no. leaving no. the country because no. No. She had like, you know, an abusive husband or something like that. And so she's going to restart her life in another country. There's no, there's nothing like that. There's no job. There's no role that Harry can go into now that is even remotely equivalent to what he was raised in. He is going to have to learn how to be a regular ass person. Now, of course, by regular ass person, I still mean a person of immense privilege because they have a lot of money and they can make a lot of money off of their name and shit like that. They got a Netflix deal. Yeah. They're up there with the Obamas. They got a multi, multi multi-billion dollar. They're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. Look at their friends. They're friends with J&B. They're friends with Serena. And her I mean, husband, Tyler Perry, Perry is Lilibet's grandfather. Yes, godfather. It's not like we in the same tax bracket or even live in the same reality. But again, yeah. that's why I think this is a, a good case study. But I want to circle back just one time to the raceless thing because this was the big take yeah. There was something I to say about that. perspective for me. No, no, no. I think all this is important. And it all interweaves seamlessly. Um, so my message. To all people raising mixed children, whether you mixed yourself or you're not, whatever, um, is to, regardless of what they look like, regardless of what culture they are raised in or around, regardless of the environment they're raised in, regardless of how they grow up to identify or affiliate with any or all of the cultures within them, and I'm going to be real specific here. I I think it I think it um, inc- I think that it relates to all parts of mixedness that aren't white. But I think it's and again I'm having a U.S. perspective here, although I don't think this is unique to the U.S. But I think that when the mix is black and anything else, this is for Ms. Doria and and people like this, a plea that it is your responsibility to raise your child to understand political blackness, historic, economic, social, political blackness, not to tell them whether they are or aren't black. And they could look like Archie and Lilibet, okay? Mm -hmm. Okay? And they can look like me, and they can look like Megan, and they can look like you. That's not the point. And the point isn't how they grew up to identify, or again, all the things I listed, but no matter what, if they've got, I'm going to use the term, 
and I mean this in the political historical sense, one drop, mm-hmm. then it is the parent's responsibility. I'm saying this because I was blessed with that kind of parent by yeah. a Jewish, not black mama, okay? To help me understand political blackness, blackness as the reality of the world you have to navigate, be it your your suburban hood, your hoodie hood, your urban hood, or the freaking royal family and monarchy of the United Kingdom and everything in between. Because the, the, the empathy I felt for Megan and the suffering that she had to endure, I think was in part... Because she walked in with some level of raceness, raceless myopia. Yeah, and what was hard for me to wrap my... The criticism. It's just a fact. Yeah. Right? Because I wanted to protect her. I wanted to run in front of her. Mm. You know, okay, girlfriend, come over here. I would, I, you know, I'm not Julie Andrews and Princess Diaries, <laughs> but I'd have been like, mixed auntie saying, boo, 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 boo. Let me, you girl... You let's talk about what you can expect. And I don't even know, you know, we had I would have had to have you leading the conversation (laughs) because I don't understand this thing you've had to walk into, but baby girl, listen. Yeah. You're gonna have to understand they are going to they're gonna hate you. This is a really good example about how the the thoughts and perspectives of other people influence your own identity because I a hundred percent believe she did not identify as black, neither politically or you know what a race racefully um i think that she did acknowledge herself as a mixed person but but just thought that she was raceless in a different way than like when i say i'm raceless which i have said for years or i say i don't have a race meaning you can't look at me an outsider can't look at me and say a hundred percent i know that you fit into this racial category that's ambiguous looking that's an ambiguous thing but the ambiguous thing still puts me in a way in which um, okay, could I walk into, and this is a real example, uh, the DMV here in Texas and claim black on the paper because they only give me one race category to pick, and the woman behind the counter says, your name is Charmaine Latrice, meaning that's all I needed to know in terms of someone telling me you're going to pick black because that's what you got going on. But and but I can't walk down the street and someone peg me necessarily right. as either black or Asian you know, I, in that case, I'm, I don't have a race in the way in which she is raceless is literally, it doesn't come up. Like to have two different colored parents, even divorce two different colored parents for it never to be a common topic at some point that it comes up, like a school principal gets surprised that your dad is white or, you know, you know, things like that, that those types of incidences didn't occur throughout her life to even subtly prepare her right for what it was like in the ways in which she described her early acting career where they would put her out for everything she was just kind of thinking of it as just sort of having a general look and a general attractiveness she wasn't thinking about the reason why you're ambiguous and could fit in these categories is because you're mixed and da 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 whereas me like the i will move understanding i look the way that i look i still move in political blackness because that is the part one that I was raised cl- more closely identifying to, but that is the part in which I have more impact with the moves I make, you know, mm-hmm. whereas someone like her going her whole life sort of raceless, she had to become black. 
Yes. To be that princess. And in doing that, I think it has now affected the way she currently identifies, which is like, the world made me aware that I'm a black woman. I did not know I was a black woman until the world made me aware of it. And so now I have to move forward with the understanding and whether or not that affects her personal identity versus just her political identity or her even her public identity. She just has to do that now. But until she dated a prince, that didn't come up. It didn't didn't come come up up in her previous marriage. It didn't come up in her job. You know, somehow she managed to float. And I, I make a joke about it being the, the freckle effect. Because she has freckles, she was able to go, like, float through. It's a joke. It's not, it's not a real thing. No, 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 no. no. Make it. no. But, you know, that she could just go through. And if someone didn't want to deal with the race that she may or may not be, they would just not address it and she could just move. Whereas I can't enter a space where my race or ethnic identity does not come up from outside of me. And I look like Megan, but I can't either. Yeah, but you can't either. So, so I, I, it's hard for me to look it's at her. Yeah. It's, it's like, hard. how did it never happen I for you? I pay for her hair texture, by the way. But it's hard for me to look at her <laughs> and her fuller lips than I have, you know. But it's hard for me to look at her and understand. because It know, was really hard. It, it, it's really hard. And yeah. I did want to, you know, run in front of her and protect her like an auntie. But also, it's really hard for me to look at her and go, well, girlfriend, I'm questioned by every single yeah. human that lays eyes on me. But I think that has more to do with the the where we grew up and the proximity to the people that we grew up with. There is an there is an uh well, we grew up an we air. Both, we both grew up in black environment. Yeah. And so we're I think even black. when we don't speak right. the when when all the people have to 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 decide in those few first seconds of seeing us what we what category right. we fall into for them um, we have an air, I think, that even if we're silent, we're giving off. There's something going on here that is black aligned. Absolutely, because right? yeah, most black people are like, but you're something. Yeah, but you're something, right? Something, Whereas right? someone like Megan, I can, I while I am surprised because she has a black mother and because she grew up in L.A. and stuff like that, but I understand the neighborhood she grew up in too, same type of thing. Right. I, I am surprised that she was able to do that, and yet. She's not the first person I've heard, like, just doing this show alone. I've had several people that have surprised me with this thing of, like, I am black, white, but I had white, um, I will say just acceptance in, in, in meaning that they're accepted as white because, or whiteish. There, it's a different, we don't have a word for it yet. We don't have, because it's not like. White adjacent. It's not, it's different than white adjacency. It's different than white passing. It's basically like. Maybe you're not white, white, but you're you're white enough you're to, to not address this being an right, issue. Right, 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 right. You're not making us address it. Whereas I, they always do. But they always do, and with me, they always do. But that's I think that has to do with more like there's obviously something that we give off subtly before we even open our mouths, and then opening our mouths confirms the rest of the right, whatever's right, going on right. in their brains, right? Mm-hmm. It happens to me with black people too, where especially when I was wearing the mask, where someone would say, uh, it would finally come up, what I, you know, asking me what I was or something, and I would say, you know, I'm black and Japanese, and they're like, I heard a little flavor in that voice. So like, there's already yes. ways in which Absolutely. We're constantly confirming that we're black aligned in a way that she's probably constantly concerning that she's white aligned, but yeah. she's had to learn. I hate that I'm about to say this. She's had to learn to be black real quick. But know, I don't know if she's learned to be black. She hasn't, but. She hasn't in, learned to be black. She's learned 
she's learning to but she's still she's learning the story. like the words to say the 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 oh, um, issues to nice. follow to pay attention to i mean fucking harry is learning the issues to follow and, and pay attention to you know what i'm saying like well, harry knows right that's harry's I mean. on his woke journey um yeah. He's and he's picking up microaggressions and he's picking up, right. um, you know, disenfranchisement yeah. and stuff like that. And he's got to think about it because he's got to think about how can he and his wife move into a room and how will his children room into exactly. rooms so he, when he's not present. So I think he's on a more, he comes across, I can't say I am not sitting and hanging out with them, but based on the documentary, it comes across that he is more. Uh, proactively on a learning curve. Yes. Where she was forced into it. But I want to I want to do something with raceless because you I love the way you describe it. But when I say raceless, so think of it like the camera, your your phone camera. Mm-hmm. You can look the front of the back, yeah. Front of back. And apparently there's a new phone where you can do both at once. But anyway, I just saw an <laughs> ad. Of course they're gonna keep doing that, right? Why not? Anyway, yeah. Of course. Now, whether it's the iPhone nine hundred or whatever the heck. But anyway, I'm always like two behind whatever the newest post is. But um, okay, that when I met the race, you described very, very importantly the how the world sees you. What I'm talking about is how these mixed people are raised to see the world. Yes, that's what that's what I was saying. It was so hard for me to grasp because I'm viewing racelessness like the way that I'm existing. I couldn't wrap my head yet around that's what i'm saying yeah that's what i'm trying to say it's not how we're perceived it's how we're perceiving the world and our place in it and how we move through it Mm -hmm. right so that's what i mean by parents of mixed kids whether you're mixed or not yourself please under again i'm going to go back to political blackness Mm -hmm. or political whatever the thing is yeah right or the things are that mm-hmm. your child needs to understand from a historical, cultural, from some kind of objective perspective, the world they're in, right? The world they're in and how those ancestors have to, had to navigate it or what it means for people in that group. Again, whether you look like that group, align with that group, grew up with that group, or familiar with it. You need to understand it. So, you know, right? Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I have a nephew, right, in the Philippines. And his mom is Filipina. And, of course, Filipinos are mixed. Mm-hmm. And then his dad is my brother, who's super mixed. So I call uh, my nephew the most mixed person in the family. He's got more continents to check off mm-hmm. than the rest of us. He looks... He's young and he looks like I did as a child. Mm-hmm. Although I'm starting to see more of like his mom's side of the family as he gets older, bone structure and stuff, hair like mine, um, coloring. So super ambiguous. There is no way anybody in the world is going to look at this child and guess what he is, including you and me. Okay. Yeah. Now I sometimes think about what, how, if he were to come spend time here, let's say he grows up and says, I want to go hang uh, hang out with Auntie in Atlanta and go to Morehouse. The acculturation I would have to do. Yeah. And it's not that my brother is any slouch. He is not. But, but he lives in a culture that... He hasn't lived in this country yeah. for a while. 
So, and he's, uh, he's acutely aware of everything. Don't get me wrong. There's no denial or ignorance, but it's different on the ground. And I'd be like, and I raised two light-skinned, ambiguous black children. I didn't raise my yeah. children as mixed. There was no denial of mixedness. It's just like, yeah. you're black, you light-skinned, you ambiguous looking, da, da, da. Okay. So they got some, at least they grew up, what I could give them with colorism and racism and all that. With some, I tried to give them some tools. So I believe it is, it's really important. So he, so my nephew needs to grow up with political Filipino-ness. Yeah. At least now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, that he doesn't need what, but if he, if he wants to come into this environment, my brother and I and his mom Mm -hmm. would put our heads together and say, okay, how are we going to navigate this part, which I live in and am entrenched in? Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's my message. My, my plea, really my loving request. Again, not a criticism, not a judgment, not a slam. Uh, but if you're raising a child, whatever their components are of their ancestry, <laughs> of their culture, of their DNA, please do what you can to educate them and to equip them yeah. with the understanding they're going to need. Yeah. It's not so much how are they going to identify again. Oh, that's not so much. What the world sees you as is what you are, not necessarily. Yeah. You know, all those kinds of things. We can bust all those myths and just knock them all down because they're not useful. But the reality is whatever you can do to prepare your child so that they're not unprepared. Yeah. Right? Because race, racism, and the other isms are ever present for all of us. Yeah. Whatever isms are gonna that you qualify for, you're going to get to experience be on the receiving end of them. Yeah in your life right so that would be if i could talk to vegas mom i say you know baby i I get it i -hmm. get it i'm mixed i'm from the west coast get it get it get it get it get it no question but i just wanted to grab your daughter and say hold up baby let me do let's just let's just discuss yeah it's like you you almost wanted her entourage to be just filled with aunties (laughs) like just to be there from jennifer lewis to whoever (laughs) right? right I mean, right. just, she was just like, baby, you, we need, yeah, she almost needed like a boot camp immersion. She did. Onboarding. That's the, what was missing. But of course they couldn't onboard her. They were onboarding her with all what you described so beautifully, royal protocol. It's all yeah. about protocol and presence and presentation and the rules. I mean, when you really understand like how relegated these, this family is, and this is not me trying to offer extra empathy for them or anything like that, but these are literally people who have lived no other life. So they don't know anything else, but they have rules about how they are meant to approach their grandmother. Yes. She's not grandma all the time to them. She is first their queen and then their grandmother. They can't sit in in certain places next to, or the hierarchy, they're supposed to sit in certain directions when they're just eating a family meal. Right. These are not normal people. They do not relate to each other in a family way in the way that most of us get a chance to relate to our families. So when you throw in outsiders and you do not train them, like they should literally be a royal protocol. There should like, be an academy. There's a royal protocol training for like when the prime minister brings their partner, which up in, you know, for all of it has been wives until um, um, Thatcher was the prime minister. 
There's a protocol court, like a quick course for the wives to know how to approach the queen. That's probably more work <laughs> than was provided to Megan or she Kate. It's she just that working. Kate institutionalized a lot easier than Megan would have been able to, no matter well, what she tried. Even if Megan yeah. was a mixed race British person, same things would have existed. The only thing that would be have taken out is the anti-American hate. Right. Literally the only thing. All the other stuff would have been exactly the same. Exactly. Um, so, I, I mean, it just in, in summary of all this stuff, I think what was, was really special about the documentary is getting a chance to allow them to publicly address the stuff that under their control and under their voice that the world was deciding for them. Yes. Um, I think you got to see her personality, even if she is an actress, you know, they still reveal who they are in, in different oh, ways. She, I mean, you know, she's still a human person. Right. You got to see her feeling the shit. Like you got to watch her face be completely stunned by the way things were happening. Right. And, and I, like, I just feel, and, and since we got to see some of the video that they did on their own phones when they had private moments, like, I think you get a real sense for this was so unlike anything you could have prepared a human for. Could they have done better things to prepare her? A hundred percent. Absolutely. But to go in there without any protection and without anybody saying, at the end of the day, what we care more about is the successful marriages of these royal family members. That's not a priority. I mean, it, the hunker down and stick with it is a priority. Whether or not you actually love your partner, not a priority in that family, right? Right. But had they allowed that to be the priority, Maybe they could have worked a little bit better to protect these two people um, who were members of this of this royal family. And I'm talking about the institution in this but case. The people, or the system. But they threatened the institution. They threatened the institution because they were popular and they were new. They were well, the new they shiny were thing. Popular, they were new and she ain't white. I mean, again... Y'all, <laughs> but but yeah, like you I, cannot ever let you. It, it's tempting. You can't, I, this family can't stay isolated forever. At some point, they will either have to end, or they will have to well, allow I, these people to fall in love with who they want to fall in love with. And if that person happens to be a black person or a brown person, then they gotta they've got to protect that person too. Like they just have to start doing that. I, it, they're we'll just going see. to fail otherwise. Because guess what happened? Once Charles got a chance to marry Camilla, and regardless of what people's memory of their relationship and how gross a lot of this stuff was between them and both of their, Camilla and Charles' treatment of Diana, people fucking love them together now in the UK. They are, because they can see real love, like in the same way that we saw real love between Harry and Meghan, you can actually see real love between Charles and Camilla. Now, is it, you know, British and stiff and stuff like that. Yes, but you see an affection between these two people that he never had for Diana. And what has happened? People like Charles again. They like Charles like they liked him before Diana came around. So because add a layer. he's add a more layer. authentic now than he ever got to be with Diana. Well, that and that makes sense. So if the system allowed these people to be in love with who they want to be in love with and then protect them once they become a part of the institution, things would shift a little bit. Maybe but not is drastically. There anything in the institutional history or makeup that would suggest that that's possible? 
Well, Queen Charlotte was a, was a mixed woman, and she and she had a very high level of attention and and fame during the time that she was in existence. So it's not like they haven't had. It's of course it's like three four hundred years ago, but it's not like they haven't had black people in the royal family before. But she was, but she okay, but she was British. Yes, but but her her mother came from, I, I believe, the Caribbean. Right. So, like, she, yeah, so she was she still was a product. She was. She was a product. Remember, yeah. She was their product. Megan's not their product. I'm not disagreeing that you know there's a precedent, but again, it was a million years ago. It was a million years and, ago, and but, she was she was still in a different category. And you didn't have the same level of public access that is now in existence because you we didn't can have the internet you didn't have you didn't three, yeah. 400 years ago you didn't have television you didn't have anything but people have seemed to forgive and forget about the whole camilla charles thing and they're just they're with it now because they see two people in love and they think that they think a king and queen should maybe like each other i think if they had given a little bit of that same grace to megan Har- and and but harry they but they couldn't it's the first one out the gate they're gonna have to the next one because, and I'll show you the example. I do want to wrap up because it's getting way too long, but I'll, I'll tell you an example. Diana is essentially an outsider, although she is, you know, a part of the aristocracy. She's just a lower level of aristocracy, a member of the aristocracy. She she becomes a, a royal and everything like that. Yes, the population falls in love with her and everything like that. They they weren't expecting that. Um, oh, shoot, I lost my point. I had three, two, oh, here we go. So Diana gets in. She has to go through a whole bunch of shit to be able to become Diana because she wasn't Diana in the beginning. Even though people were excited about her, her being who she came into, that's who everybody fell in love with. People were just excited about the fresh young bride at that time. But once she started becoming Diana, when she picked her causes and she started full, then, you know, the way everybody fell in love with her was, you know, made it easier for the idea that the next time a commoner comes in, Kate's transition was a lot smoother as a commoner coming in because we already got to see it with Diana. So it's like enough years have gone by. This is actually not that big of a deal like we thought it was. So it's a lot smoother of a transition for this next one to come in. Another version of that will be when the first divorces hit with, uh, with Fergie and, um, and, um, well, even the queen sisters and the queen sister and stuff like that. When those divorces hit, they rocked the fucking thing because because everybody remembers the abdication and the abdication involved divorce and all this other kind of stuff and it was very stressful for to people to imagine that you're you're um appointed by god fucking monarchs which is what they think they are um yeah. could could fall in love with someone so flawed a divorced person and give up the, the throne for it how dare they do something like that so selfish that scarred the royal family so hard so that by the time the other cho- the queen's children started having divorces she was having all that all that weight of the abdication came back and rushed on it and so she dug in a little bit harder but after people after the world saw that they can just exist and not fall apart because they were divorced and all four of those kids got divorced all four of her kids have been divorced at this point and people were like so what most of the population is divorced that it was a lot easier for the next group of people who wanted to get divorced, which has to do with some of the younger royals. It's easier for them to get permission to divorce because 
the older royals went through that. So you have two different versions about how, like, once you introduce something that isn't how we do things, the first time is really rocky. The second time is not as rocky. By the third time, we're just moving on. Diana Commoner, Kate Commoner, Meg Commoner. But Meg has a different story. Meg is an American and she's a mixed race person. So it's not going to work this time. But if in the future, George or or Charlotte end up finding love with a, a brown person or something like that, I bet you it'll be not as difficult, but still have some difficulty to let that pass. But it'll pass. You make a great case. My prediction would be to be someone who's Japanese. I mean, possibly. Because of what you described earlier about the, the parallels. Mm-hmm. With the because that it wouldn't be a culture shock, it, it, you know what I mean? It it's so be funny a, too because like they will literally marry Germans or or Italians. Like the British, the European royals are almost all related to each other, right? Because of Victoria, right. yeah. But because they're white, no big deal. Right. All of those jokes about the ones that speak different languages, but it's not that big a deal. It's just once you throw a little melanin in that it, everything falls apart. Well, because that's what this whole, their, Europe and the United States and other Western countries are built on. Yeah, it would be They're interesting if it was a, a person of color that was also a royal for whatever country they come from. That could be cool. It, it would make sense in terms of the level of people that can come together. There's a, a shorter learning curve of how, of how well, to gotcha, maneuver gotcha, and something gotcha, like that. Gotcha, yeah. But, um, but it, it would be interesting. And it that probably would have been a lot easier had Megan been a royal already. Yeah, but she couldn't be a royal in this country. So. Could, yeah, yeah. Like if she was from somewhere else. Um, one of the things that we didn't get to talk about, but I know we, we definitely need to wrap this up and maybe it'll come up on another thing, is the idea that the what the British royal family missed out on opportunity wise in allowing her to fall become a member of the family and to f- go into the fold is the support and um adulation that was happening in all the other parts of the commonwealth mm, the right. black countries loved her right now right. does that mean that she could have been a token and been used absolutely that could have been the case but Good that point. was an opportunity that they were blind to because they prioritized racism over the fact they were stressed out that those countries loved her so much Absolutely. rather than viewing it as an asset. Rather than the, right, it was a liability seen as a liability. Rather yeah. than, and my last point I want is to point out, take away from the documentary, how black folks came through for them. Yeah. Ultimately who saved her? Black folks. Yeah. <laughs> so i mean i'm just which saying. we're all sitting here going like duh yeah. but at the same time even she was probably surprised by that i she, think she possibly was look we need to get her on military mix she could be on the list we'd be like mags boo we need to have a chit chat it's so funny because i think my my british side of the family would come crawling if they found out that i got access to if i had a if i had a a second degree connection to to harry <laughs> Um, it would have been wild but anyways um so this is our first episode back our first mixanti confidential back for the new year it did it didn't run long and we probably could have we actually could have probably made an episode for every episode to really kind of deal with all the different things that happened across this documentary um for those of you haven't watched it yet i i highly recommend it. it 
not in the adulation of the royal family aspects of it, but in the complication about like mixed raceness and internal identity and external di- identity across borders. You know, in terms of the Western world, like the realities. Yes, yes. I mean, we literally, it was the closest thing that we in the United States, most of us, have to relate to is she stepped into a freaking Disney movie. Yeah. I mean, literally. Literally. It's the fantasy that Disney has has been promoting. Yeah. These Princess Diaries, I mean, you know. It's yeah, it's so. definitely really interesting. Um it it it, sh- it sheds a light on like just just the complete differences in which ways mixed people can be raised because yes. The so much of aspects of her child rearing, her like her being reared surprised the shit out of me as a fellow mixed person. Me too. You know? <laughs> Um, there was a lot, so I definitely recommend it for that purpose. And um, I'm I'm open to having continued conversations with people who want to get into to some of these things because I am n- known even in my friend group and things like that as a as a partial Brit. I mean, instantly the amount of text messages I started to get right away and and things like that. Like I I am the unofficial British expert uh, expert correspondent for my my American friends. Um, but I, you know, I mean, I know what I know because I, I come from a British family, but my Brit, I grew up here. So I, I'm still, I still have a level of removal that I'm not sure I fully understand everything, but I have, a, I guess I have a pretty good. Oh, no, 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 of, no, no, no. I want you to edit that out. It. And I want you to edit that out because again, I want to thank you. And I want to acknowledge what a beautiful job you have done. And I'm not exaggerating. So please don't edit this out. What a beautiful <laughs> job you have done. And you are the British correspondent, the, the mixed the, Brit correspondent, mixed <laughs> Brit correspondent. Um, because again, I am, well, you know, I'm, I'm completely obsessed with, if I want to know about a group, a culture or something, I want, I'm, I'm from the source. I'm also part journalist. So, Hey, yeah, yeah. but, but I was, I've been like this before. I, you know, journalism is just an outlet that aligns with that personality trait I have. I want to hear it from the source. So that's why I've loved learning from you in this episode. And it really helps everything go click, click, click. And um, I, you know what? I really hope that Megan and Harry, by the way, Harry, honey, I wanted her name first on the title of the documentary. Um, I was a little peeved. It is Harry and Megan. But I really I get it. Listen to this. I don't get it. But I'm like, ladies first, we'll have a way. What? Well, see, but it's not because when you're talking about married people, you name the man first. But in, if you're talking about a prince, you definitely name him first. Okay. Well, that married, I, you know, I thought that went away. With the me. only time it reverses is the queen because she is the queen. And so Philip did have to follow her in name. So it'd be the queen and Prince Philip. I, I didn't even know he had, she had a husband. Anyway, I was like, who that? Who that little mousy man? Oh, man. He's got a story. He's got a oh, story. He oh, yeah. A, I was like, she got a husband? She's 150. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I want to really acknowledge and honor and thank you, ma'am, for the mixed Brit correspondence. Because, again, whatever we do know about our various cultures and ancestral lines and lineages, and cultures that we happen to be brought in, whether or not they're reflected in our DNA or not, that's how we learn. Yeah, that's how we're all better able to understand the world, whether it's pop culture or 
what we're navigating at home, at work, at school, wherever, just in the universe. Um, so you have gifted me, Sir Auntie May, <laughs> with this, and I believe our listeners, but I really hope Megan and Harry, I'm putting your names in that order, <laughs> Megan and Harry, listen to this episode. I really hope y'all listen to this episode and then hit us up because we'd love to have you on the chat. Oh yeah, I'd have I definitely would have both of them. He'd be the first monoracial person that would end up on this show, but to talk about the yeah, I would I wouldn't pass I wouldn't pass that up. For nothing. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um uh don't forget to follow Militantly Mixed on uh all the socials at Militantly Mixed or go to the militantlymixed.com website. You can get your t shirt and your merches and all that other kind of stuff there. Uh why don't you tell everybody how to find the Mix Auntie Confidential? MixedAnticonfidential.com or um, I'm on Instagram at Teresa Talks. Oh, one word. T-A-R-E-S-S-A Talks. And uh, you will be hearing from us again very soon. So um, I was going to say God Save the Queen, but that's probably a bad thing. <laughs> now it would be the king. but um... Sorry, the king. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Which I, I still can't like my. It's me either. You said so it. Weird. Oh, is he okay? It's yeah, so yes, weird. He is. he's okay. Never mind. Are we recording? Um, <laughs> yeah. Omega Harry, hit us up. <laughs> <laughs> Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast, produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the One. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.